You are listening to Faithless Brewing, a Magic the Gathering podcast for the Spike Rogue. Each week we design new decks for tournament play. We put our creations to the test and share our findings on the air. Today we present part one of our Dominaria United full set review with a look at every card that's fit to brew in Modern and Pioneer. We also review the upcoming releases for Magic in 2023, when Elish, Norn, and Gandalf face off against Oko 2. That's all coming up on Faithless Brewing. Thanks for listening and enjoy the show! Welcome to the Faithless Brewing Podcast. I am your host, Dan Schriever, also known as Cave Dan Online, here at the beginning of the historic Season 15 of Faithless Brewing, all about Dominaria United. Joining me for this exciting kickoff, all the way from Buenos Aires, Argentina, you know him as Mord to Light, it's Emmy Sagasti. Emmy, welcome back. Hey thanks Dan, how is it going? You picked a good day to come back, how was your trip? It was really good. We went on like a whole week trip to the south, which is called like the end of the world because it's literally the southest point in the whole continental land outside of literally Antarctica. And we went on a ski trip with a couple of friends. Yeah, I know like conceptually that the world is round, like it's a globe. But whenever I think about the very, very far south, the southern tip of Argentina, I feel I feel myself like falling off, you know? <laughs> Like it just feels way down there. Yeah, it's just two to the south. <laughs> but yeah, really fun trip, really cheap, because everything is cheap in here if you count it in dollars. So, had a lot of fun. Yeah, the pictures you posted in our Discord just look absolutely gorgeous. The place was gorgeous. And I just went like snowboarding every single day, fell on my back on too fast of a speed, cracked my ass. <laughs> and now I have a tiny fissure. So, living hurts. Three red red, bury a target artifact or creature, little fisher <laughs> on Mort. <laughs> no, stop right there. Well, I hope you recover from that. Um, that sounds quite painful. But yeah, besides that, I'm really excited, had a lot of fun, and really glad to be back. Because I was also extremely happy with today's announcements and everything that came with it. Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, we're recording a little bit later than usual this week because... Today, Thursday, was the big reveal. Uh, what do they call it? Wizards Presents. A combined Dungeons and & Dragons and Magic in 2023. Big show to do. It was worth the wait. And it was a long show. It was like an hour and a half almost. But once they finally got rolling, I mean, it was awesome. I love that nobody cared about the 25 first minutes and everybody was in chat spamming like, Zeta, 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 sit, sit, sit. Wasn't that strange? Right? <laughs> like, I sat through the whole thing because I kept expecting them to like, say something relevant for magic it really put in perspective like how popular dungeons and dragons is in the imagination the cultural imagination like dnd is having a moment at least in the u.s i mean stranger things did really help with that for sure stranger things uh for me it was riverdale the, the season three griffins and gargoyles plotline was exquisite tv on the cw <laughs> yeah i mean i don't know does anyone buy products for Dungeons & Dragons? Like, 
the times that I've played, I've never bought anything for it. It's just like you show up and... I think a lot of people do, and I tend to play with product that a friend buys, and everybody, and every LCS here has at least some number of of Dungeons & Dragons products, so there has to be some consumption of it. Okay. I did have like a moment of doubt. Like, you know, we see the revenue numbers for Hasbro and for Wizards, and they combine D&D and Magic into one division. And I was like, wait, wait, like is Dungeons & Dragons the big star of the division? <laughs> Is that why they're spending half an hour showing me a D&D campaign? I mean, D&D does make some money. I think it's less than magic. And if you put it at the end... So this is what happens. I don't think Nantes and Dragon players would be interesting, interested enough to wait for the whole hour and a half of magic. But magic players are excited enough for spoilers that they're willing to wait the 20-minute delay for Dungeons & Dragons. So oh, you have okay. to put it on front so you get everyone watching it. Okay, that that makes a lot more sense. Okay, so they knew that magic was the big draw. They knew it. So we're still more important than D&D. Okay. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So they had to Whew. put it... Order is restored. The, the other play was to put it in the middle, but then you just, like, eh. Yeah. It just splits it in half too much, I think. So I like what they did, and I think it's necessary in order to get both trills. Fair point. Good point. So uh, we're not going to talk about D&D today. We're going to be focusing all on the magic. We're going to go through their announcements, their lineup for 2023. And they've dropped about 12, 15 new cards already from Dominar United. We're going to take a look at those. So we got a big show coming up. Before we dive into all that, though, let's just do some quick housekeeping right at the top. A reminder that if you enjoy the show, the best way to support the podcast is by joining our Patreon which you can find at patreon.com slash faithlessbrewing. A pledge to any tier gets you access to our Discord channel, and I gotta say, preview season is the best time to be in the Faithless Brewing Discord. Exactly. You can always join us, see our beautiful bad ideas that might not see the lighting here, because if every brew was good, we would actually win something. <laughs> Instead of punting our head into the walls trying to stumble into gold. That's not the faithless way. Right? That's not the faithless way. <laughs> That's not why we're here. We also have a new community league starting up by popular demand. I think this is iteration seven or eight yeah. of the Faithless Brewing Community League. Just a friendly league, played out usually over four weeks. Experimenting with hypothetical formats, sometimes weird brew-around rules, sometimes stipulations, sometimes just good, clean, modern, and pioneer it's always a great time, so if you're already a member of our Discord and are interested in getting some friendly matches in, uh, I believe signups are open for a few more days. And if you're just looking for some chill brewers to play against, you know, we'd love to have you here. We have two new patrons we do want to welcome this week. They are Cabbage Core and AOW0526. So thank you very much to both those individuals. Yeah, thanks so much. Every single bug keeps our bad leaks going. Exactly. Um, other follow-up. I did mention, I believe, last... Maybe it was last Friday, I'm not sure, that I had a tournament report going up. Yeah, the Crabbine. Exactly, and I, I shared some of my results with David on the podcast, but you can find a much more detailed write-up of that now on faithlessbrewing.com. There's a link in the show notes to this episode, or if you just go to our homepage, faithlessbrewing.com, you can find it all there. Uh, it was a fun exercise. I hope I did the deck proud. Didn't do great in terms of wins and losses. I think I went four and three, but the process was good. Good exercise for me to just sort of keep track of like, how did I actually affect the outcome of these games in the limited number of choices that I had available? 
I mean, that tends to be the most important part, right? Because variance is going to change. The best thing, the, the important part about playing Magic is when winning when you have good variance and making sure you win when your opponent doesn't exploit their own good luck. That's all we can do. Exactly. All right, enough housekeeping. Let's get into the meat of it. Emmy, Wizards presents, Mord presents. Take us there. Okay, so we're starting, we're going to go from low to top. First of all, pretty simple, pretty easy. Magic 30 Las Vegas, everybody knows about it. Gets shown by Magic 30 promos with some beautiful old border foil cards with the only the foil borders, which is like the original way, which I think is Finderhor Elms, Ball Lightning, and Sarah Essential. Yeah, those are the first three. I guess they're going chronologically through the years. I was wondering if they were going to have a big Las Vegas plug in this show, and they did. And it was like, you can go buy your tickets now. Hurry over. And it's like, you, you actually can't buy your tickets You now. can't buy your tickets. There are no tickets. <laughs> tickets are fake. Like, there's going to be a beta draft. And I'm like, yeah, those sold out within <laughs> four hours. So, but that's cool. <laughs> that gets followed by not as exciting news about Dominaria Remastered, which is just going to be a full draftable set with cards from all the 27 sets that were in Dominaria. And that's where the Force of Will comes from, from everybody that's like, oh, Force of Will, is this legal in modern? No, this is from a reprint set. And a card <laughs> I have never seen before, which is Arboria. Arboria is from Legends, I believe. It's one of those cards that is expensive because people assume it's on the reserve list. Wait, what is Wall Enchantment still a legal thing? Apparently. This is the first evidence we have of that. Yeah, yeah, like if you play a Wall Enchantment and I play another one, do they kill it? Does one kill the other? I believe so. I mean, magic theoreticians have predicted that world enchantment still exists, but we never had confirmation until just now. Okay. So we won't know what happens until you actually try to cast Arborea. Into another Arborea. Okay. <laughs> then we go to the beautiful modern legal set, Tales of Middle-Earth, coming 2023. So we're literally getting playable Gandalf, playable Frodo, and playable Balrog at least announced as of yet in modern. How do you feel about this, Dan? <sighs> well, Mord, let me, let me invite you to a little place. Come on a journey with me to a place I like to call Conspiracy Town. I talked about this on our last, what was it, our Chaos show, right? My, <laughs> my little side rant about the all-white Middle-earth. So they announced this like a year ago, right? The all-white Gandalf and all of the Caucasian hobbits. And as I was going on about this, you know, you're just watching David's face and he's like, what the heck is this guy talking about? <laughs> he's like, this is the most random rant. But <laughs> the gist of it was in the preview art or the promotional art, right? I just pointed out that this looks nothing like any current magic set. Yeah. Compare that to what they're saying about Dominaria United. They had like multiple people get on stage and be like, oh, Dominaria United, such a big world. It's so diverse. There's people who look like me on Dominaria. They actually had Maris come out and say that twice. So yeah, they, they do care about this a lot. And it's just very curious. I thought it was initially I thought it was curious that the promo art for Lord of the Rings was like very what David would call classic Tolkien-esque. Okay, so what's the conspiracy? Well, they revealed two more promotional arts today on the stream. One is Frodo. I, I believe this is a card called Call of the Ring. He's looking very ominous. The second one is this. Uh, what would you call this? The fifteen or the eighteen cards stitched together. Oh, borderless arts, each one for a different card. I'm gonna take that's the Battle of Five Armies. 
Something like that. Yeah, if you take these cards and put them all side by side, they don't even have the black border. Yeah. It makes a giant panorama. So it's going to be like the top six, you have likely two instants, like an enchantment, an instant of sorcery, two creatures, a land art, likely a second land, a mountain, likely both. Into bottom left, it's likely creature, instant, legendary creature, legendary creature, legendary creature. Yeah, you see some Nazgul flying around in the sky, and down at the bottom front, there's like someone who's maybe Aragorn, or who knows. I see an elf, I see a dwarf, some humans. I see a female elf. Yeah, this is Battle of Five Armies, 100%. So no Aragorn. So, being me, of course, I'm like, well, what what hue is their skin, of course? <laughs> Like, let's zoom in real close and figure out what's going on here. And indeed, like, they are all Caucasian, Middle-earthen, whatever you, whatever you want to call this. But, but they've used their artistic liberty. They use the smoke of battle, the dirt and grime to kind of make it like a little bit ambiguous. Like, if you look at this Frodo art, right, he's obviously the same hobbit as the, you know, Gandalf and all the Scottish hobbits behind him or whatever. But... Here, Frodo looks, you know, kind of olive-skinned, like Mediterranean Frodo, right? He's maybe Greek in this picture. So I think, like, I think they actually cannot do it. I think that, as David said, they might just have a licensing agreement that says no. they cannot rewrite any of... They, they can't diversify this cast. Whereas if you look at something like the Amazon show that's coming out next week or whatever, it's like a very diverse cast. Yeah, because Amazon show must have bought all the, all the claim and this must have been like a deal, like on the side. And also... The the Lord of the Rings for twenty more years it's not public license. Hmm. Okay. That's why you know this something really this is something like really interesting that happens with Sherlock Holmes. Depending on the Sherlock Holmes book you're talking about, authors have enough capability of changing what they want based on the year it was written, because that book might or might not be public and um, public license. This happened with like an old show. With Enola Holmes, I think, where Sherlock Holmes acted really like the Sherlock Holmes in the last books, mm -hmm. while based on a story of the first ones, and they got sued because of that. Because that Sherlock Holmes oh. is not legal yet for them to use. They have to use the asshole Sherlock Holmes from original books from the story side, because new one is still not only licensed for three more years. Right, there's something similar going on with like Winnie the Pooh. There's like this, yes. this gritty Winnie the Pooh horror movie coming out, but they can't use Tigger because Tigger is still... Tiger was written in posterior books, so <laughs> exactly. he was not in the original group and he's not legal claim. He's not a public claim. Right, so Tigger does not appear in the Winnie the Pooh slasher film. We're talking about Dominaria United, of course. No, no, we're talking about Lord of the Rings. We're going to champ in Dominaria United, eventually. But you see where we're going with this, right? So it's like, okay, so David, I know he's just like, what the heck is Dan talking about? This is nuts. But it's true. I swear this is true. And I believe in my heart of hearts that like the people at Wizards, like they're pained by this and they're trying to come up with whatever trick they can use to like make it look not like an all-white Lord of the Rings. But I think their hands are tied. Yeah, this Frodo is clearly white, but just so covered in dirt and such that he doesn't look... He looks almost Latino in appearance. Yeah, very ambiguous. Exactly. And they're going to try and keep it that way, I think, because most of the artists try to pray, try to get as much diversity in their, act, in their art as they can, but maybe they were just told, if you want to do it, hide it. <laughs> exactly. 
Followed by Lord of the Rings, we have something that excited me almost as much, which is the following seven sets of our standard legal sets, starting, with, of course, with Dominar United, and I'm going to propose an extremely not... So I'm going to make a claim that I have done zero analysis about, which is why we only have six painlands now, and it is that the four remaining painland places have been ravaged by the history of Dominaria, and they don't exist as places anymore, and they're going to be printed in the broadest world as featured in the past. There's no longer any brushland in Dominaria. Exactly, of the brushland. Climate change. The, exactly, <laughs> the brushland is gone due to the Ice Age being gone. Okay. So in the Brothers' War, where it is featured in that timeline, in that specific time, they're going to print them. Interesting. Okay. Because it would make no sense to have six lands with the original name and four without in the same set. And is it like ecological change or is it the ravages of war? Dominaria, when we last saw it, was in the Ice Age. So yeah, it's a, it's both. <laughs> and you can see tiny needles in that. For example, in the Sulfuric Springs, the demon that's sitting there is now a skull in the new art. That was very cute. I like that detail. But yeah, it's stuff like Cave of Coilos doesn't look nearly as similar as it did before. And I think it's exactly that. Underground River, Brushland and such, they're going to come in Brothers War. So the next sets are Dominaria, Brothers War, which are both featured in Dominaria, one in the present, one in the past. And the past is like a setup for Phyrexia and March of the Machines. Phyrexia is going to be set mostly in Phyrexia, while March of the Machines, I'm making the bold claim based on the art that was spoiled, that's going to be featured around the, all the planes. Why? Because we have a plane of Essica's chariot. We have a picture of what's the name of a one? Oh, a Cyclops Fronteros, Essica's chariot, and Braska alongside a dragon from Kamigawa all together. Oh, I didn't look at that art that closely. So we have a dragon from Kamigawa, Teros, and we have something from El Rain, I think, I'm not quite sure, which is the wizard in the back, and Chandra. So that means that A, Tesseret joins the team the good guys, and gives them access to the planar portal. B, they release Nicol Bolas from the prisoners alongside Ugin. Well, wait, where'd you get that from? You said you saw Nicol Bolas in the artwork? No, no, no. But they have to get non-Pleasewalker creatures into the same plane, and that can only be done right now with Tesseret's technology. Oh, I see what you're saying. So, and Nicol Bolas, for some reason, was in prison and not killed. What if the Phyrexians... Merge all planes into one. That could really, that could actually happen. But yeah, so we have all those different of the last five, six legal sets all together fighting against Elishnorn. So Hildred right now is like a mini boss setting us up for the big boss, which is gonna be Elishnorn, who has not only taken control of the whole plane, but is actually attempting to control the multiverse. So we're in a four-set story arc, although it's actually five, because there's two March of the Machines sets. Five, because we have the aftermath. Yeah, so the aftermath is going to be like the cleanup step of everything else, just getting all the stories to the right place. Like, <laughs> March of the Machines is likely going to finish up in a huge climax fight, and the aftermath is going to be everything, like the rebuilding, the reset up, how will everything get back into its original place after the chaos that Elishnor might cause in the multiverse. They should have called it the cleanup step. That would have been very cute. It's very on brand. March of the March of the Machines cleanup step. Somebody cast giant growth during the Phyrexia expansion and it wears off during the cleanup step. <laughs> that would have been the dream. But yeah, I'm really excited about that because I love Phyrexians. And there's the small chance that um, Eldrassis showing the setup, but there's no evidence of that besides the fact that they have Tamillo under their control. 
Hmm. Okay, so kind of like Avengers Endgame vibes from this whole thing, right? Yeah, they're going for that. They have been setting up everything. They have given us our heroes across different sets. We have people like Ezika. We have the dragons from Kamigawa. We have different, like, big creatures. We have Shonara's side that they're joining against Elishnorn in March of the Machine. So from Dominaire United to the Brothers' War to Phyrexia, all will be one. Yeah. March of the Machine 1 and 2, right? This is all, like, apocalyptic stuff. World is potentially going to end. Is this the last magic expansion ever? No, that's actually just the spring expansion. (laughs) And then we go to the most powerful expansion of them all, with a creature we fear much more than Elishnor. Oko, Electric Bongaloo. Wilds of Eldraine. Because why fear Elishnor when we can fear Oko too? Twice upon a time. With big old staples like twice upon a time. And Oko. Twice upon a time. <laughs> if this is the second spell you cast in the game, it's free. Yeah, exactly. But is it weird that, like, looking at this lineup here, like, I look at Wilds of Eldraine and I'm like, this set's gonna be broken. <laughs> no, no, I think Wilds of Eldraine is gonna be really underpowered. I have the opposite thought. It's gonna be such a letdown if that happens. I'm, I'm sure you're right. I'm sure they consider it a mistake. Because they cannot fear, they cannot fear, they cannot risk Okochu Electric Pongaloo. <laughs> I know, but the expectations are so high, like... But think about it. You don't even, I don't even realize the number of playable cards there are. So, ignoring the fact that Mystic Sanctuary is banned, Anoko is banned, and Once Upon a Time is banned, Castle Bantress, all the castles also play, mm-hmm. in Sandeco and another, Bonecrusher Shy and Abrasive Borrower are from that set. Mystical Dispute is from Mystical that set. Veil of Summer is from that set. <laughs> that set, I think, has more playable cards than More Horizons 1 nowadays in modern or it's pretty damn close i think veil was from a core set claim the firstborn oh, okay, is from yeah. eldraine cat oven is from eldraine if you look at the number of eldraine cards in modern and pioneer i think it's more cards in modern than in modern horizons and in pioneer it has to be close like a modern horizons 2 for pioneer like the setup for a lot of decks is eldraine why because i don't know because it was faster as hell and they're not gonna risk that on the contrary ixalan was terrible and after Eldraine, we're going to the Lost Caverns of Ixalan. <laughs> this makes me feel like the power level's coming way back down, but I don't know. Like, is it weird of me to just like want Eldraine to be powerful again? Like, I don't want them to learn the wrong lesson. But March of the Machine has to be powerful, right? Because it's like this big endgame set with four previews. So Dominar United, we don't know the power level seems decent. The Brothers War might be the weaker one of them because in Phyrexia they have to keep powerful, they have to get people hyped because this is the Phyrexian set. This is one is the setting. Fa- this is setting up the enemy. It's a set to set up the enemy for the next two. If the enemy seems too underwhelming, the rest of the set doesn't sell. Like the idea, the, the concept falls backwards. I mean, I read the Dominaria story that they put out, and it, it seemed like the heroes are barely hanging it together. Like they. It's not going to be a contest, really. <laughs> they're so much weaker than the Phyrexians. So I don't know how they're even going to survive for two sets from now. Like, I feel like the Phyrexians are set up, but I, I hear what you're saying. Yeah, they yeah, but need they... to make powerful cards. Also, the Ahani's, the Ahani video is insanely good. Oh, Ajani turned... Yeah, that was pretty slick. So my plea to the play design team, if you're listening, if you still have time to like tweak some knobs on Eldraine, 
don't make it too weak. You know, take that ginger brute planeswalker and like juice it up a little bit. Ginger brute planeswalker. I'm afraid how big of a possibility that actually is. Yeah, it's such a cool world. It's a beautiful world. It's a beautiful world. I mean, Wilds of Eldraine looks even more spectacular. I'm really excited for that set. I, I hope they do it justice. It's the girl from. She's a Rude Planeswalker. It's the girl from the trailer that sees his guy eating, eaten by Karuk, just getting vengeance. Oh, it's like the, the trailer is Garrick getting hunted by this gingerbread Planeswalker. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> from but plane it's, to plane. <laughs> but it's the girl that in the original trailer you see Garuk yeah, eating yeah, the, the girl. guy. The girl sparks and ignited when Garuk eats the other guy. <laughs> and that's the trailer. She's chasing Garuk down the wilds. <laughs> She's the threat. She's like Mongo from Trek. She's in the castles. This is headcanon for me now. All right, let's manifest that. And Ixalan, I have no idea about the Ixalan's lore besides the, besides the fact that the sacred sand, which was the artifact holding like everything together, is gone. So, chaos. That's all we know. But it's 2024. It's just like... Well, here's the thing, right? So you have to like zoom in on the dates, right? So Dominar United is right now... Brothers War is listed as fall 2020. It's actually two months from the release of Dominator United. This is going to be like the most compressed release schedule ever. It's going to be Dominaria now, Brothers War, October, November, Phyrexia, January, um, um, sorry, February, March, and then March, March, both during March um, to like, I don't know, July, August. But how is that even possible? Like, how can you have two March of the Machine sets in the spring? I think they're going to make them super close and small sets, like two, two, the two Ixalans were originally, which seem like, like, you look at the first Ixalan and the second one, and they seem like the same. I don't know. I mean, I feel like these are going to be full-size releases. They did say Aftermath was going to be an epilogue of some sense, but... Exactly. I think, like, March is going to be big, and Aftermath is going to be t- tiny. Like, March is going to be, like, 80% of a real set, and Aftermath is going to be, like, 50 of a real set. And they're going to be, like, really compressed together. Okay, so they're, they're both technically spring releases. Nothing listed for summer, although that's when Lord of the Rings is coming out. Yeah. And then we have fall for El- Wilds of Eldraine, and then winter 2024, which would be, like, what, the January-February release the next yeah. year for Ixalan. But that's so many sets. More, this is so many sets. Like, the fact that we only get, like, six weeks for Dominaria United before Brothers War comes out. I, I don't care. Like, I see people complaining about too many sets all the time, and I'm like... So, well, I feel like we've been like in Capenna forever, right? So, like, why not just stretch it out a little bit differently? <laughs> like, I know this is driven by retail demands, and they need to have certain quarterly targets, but yeah, yeah. But I mean, as a brewer, it's exhausting. I don't. I, I'm actually excited. Like, as long as it isn't like too overwhelming, like as long as it's not like as powerful as Eldraine and Modern Lessons Two, they can give the, give me as many sets as they want, as close together as they want. Yeah, I guess I'm not really complaining about it. I'm just like dreading it. It's like, man, we're gonna have to move so fast. I just feel like I'm I'm looking up at the mountain ahead of us, and like these are just gonna be so many cars to keep track of. <laughs> we're gonna have to hustle to get through them, because I mean, just the ones that he's revealed on day one, which we should finally get to now. Like they're super, super sweet, and this is just day one of the previews. Yeah, they went for some amazing spoilers. So let's go straight into the middle of it. We get six painlands, not five, not ten. Six. <laughs> That's what, what my previous theory was about the fact that it's more of a lore reason that 
you cannot have six lands doing the exact same thing they did before with a different name. Yeah, I think in the, the video they explained that, oh, these locations only exist in Dominaria, so it could only happen now. The same is true for the um, the Mirrodin Fastlands, the allied Fastlands. They can only happen on Mirrodin. But Brushland could be anywhere. <laughs> the Painlands are weaker than the Fastlands, generally speaking. Yeah. Well, we don't have allied Fastlands on Pioneer either. So like, I think it's more important to get Seachrome Coast than it is to get Adarkar Wastes. That being said, the new ones for Pioneer are Adarkar Wastes, that's blue-white, Carpleason Forest, red-green, Sulphurous Springs, red-black. Carpleason Forest is a huge pickup because, you know, red-green, you gotta play your Mana Elf on turn one, and we've yeah. talked about this at length before, how sad it is that you have to play Mana Confluence <laughs> to make that happen. Blue-white, I mean, yeah, that's another color pair that can be aggressive if the mana supports it, right? So we've seen Blue-white Spirits. I think blue-white heroic might be an option now, or blue-white auras, um, which is like a little bit better mana. I think that deck is at least worth exploring now in a way that it wasn't before. Yeah. And besides that, someone went ahead four days ago, and Goldbolts made a tweet telling everybody that someone bought a thousand painlands from them. <laughs> Alongside multiple places of Liliana, and a few dozens of Sibelun. Master of the Pearl Trident and Lord of Atlantis. So, Goldbots, I love buying from them. They're so cheap. They're always well-stocked. But I think this tweet was meant to suggest insider trading. Four days is not enough time for me to be insider trading. I think that four days ago, Maro put out his teaser article, and I think people just, like, were speculating about these cards. Yeah, and there was... I think the Painlands were, like, something that could have really happened because Cave of Coilos is just a characteristic baseline, like, the first story from Dominar United was set at the Caves of Coilos, so it, they had artwork for it in the story, so it was a pretty safe bet that Painlands were coming back. So I don't think that this is actually evidence of, like, somebody cheated. No. Somebody took a gamble. We will never know. We will never know. <laughs> but with that being said, because who doesn't love Painlands to get at least a little bit of mana, we can start with the actual factual creatures in this set, or... Actually, spells in Dominaria. Okay, let's do it. So we've got these arranged in order of ascending mana cost, as usual. As usual. We're going to be evaluating for two formats, that is Modern and Pioneer. We're not really going to worry about Standard, Historic, or Explorer right now. Dan, this is embarrassing from you. How is the double-color cards above the... One colorless, any color peep, and one blue, and one color. This is a disappointment from your order, and I expect nothing but perfection. I don't know what you mean. Shoira should be below every other, any peep, plus one color peep. Oh, you're saying because the first card I put here is one in a red, and I put the blue-red card after it? Yeah, like double, double color always goes below uncolored plus color. But I said that it's ascending mana cost, and... Generic plus red is cheaper than blue plus red. Exactly. Then why is one and a white below blue and a white? Don't save yourself by lying to me, Dan. This was a mistake. No, no. I'm saying I'm saying one and a white is a cheaper mana cost than blue white. Yeah, exactly. And Even you have, though they both have mana value two. Yeah, and you have white and a blue above one and a white. No, I don't. Yeah. Now I do. <laughs> <laughs> But oh, I, I also have a different one in the white at the top. 
heresy. Anyway, I don't actually order them like this within Men Value 2. <laughs> no, no, you don't. But I just, I just love how you obsess over one part and the other is irrelevant. I'm like staring at the second card here. It's one in a white. I'm like, what are you talking about? But yeah, there's a second one in a white card. <laughs> there's too many one in a white. Yeah, they're both pretty good, actually. Yeah. Um, but we'll start with a bad one. Radha's Firebrand. One red, human warrior, three one. Whenever Radha's firebrand attacks, target creature defending player controls with power less than Radha's firebrand's power can't block this turn. It has activated ability with domain. Domain is a returning mechanic. It checks how many basic land types you have in play. So in this case, five and a red is the activation cost, but that five is reduced by one for each land type, or each basic land type, I should say, among lands you control. When you pay this cost, Rado's Firebrand gets plus two plus two until end of turn. Activate only once per turn. So if you had all five basic land types, you would have to only pay one red mana to pump Rado's Firebrand up to a five three at instant speed. So you can pay one red mana to make your two drop a worse territorial cow. Nice. Well, you're thinking modern, right? Okay, so this is the case where we have to differentiate formats, right? Because no, no, I'm gonna start by removing modern from the equation with that statement, like just straight up removing modern from the conversation for this card. Sure. And then we can focus on pioneer. Yeah. So I guess the the point I would make about this card in particular, or in domain in general, is that when you're evaluating mechanics, you do have to start. At least this is how I do it. You start by imagining the absolute best case scenario. Right. Imagine that I always have all five basic land types. So in this case, Rada's Firebland costs two for a 3-1. Activated ability is just a single red to pump it up. Imagine that's always the case, and then ask yourself, would I actually play this card in the best case scenario? Hopefully the answer is yes, and then you have to like go to the next step of figuring out, okay, how much work do I have to do to achieve that? Or like, can I live with three or four types, etc., cetera, etc.? Cetera. But if the answer was, even with all five types, it's still not good enough, then we have to set the card aside, right? This is a trap that brewers can fall into. If you forget that the best-case scenario is still not good enough, you might find yourself like wasting a lot of time trying to set this up and then realize it was never actually good enough to begin with. Mm. So for me, Rada's Firebrand is like, yeah, it's not quite there. Even at 3-1 that pumps up to 5-3 for red, it's, it's not quite there. Yeah, I don't think it's a playable. I don't think it's a playable creature. Like two mana, three one in most scenarios with some minor upside. I don't think it's playable. On the flip side, maybe the activated ability is a complete distraction. Maybe it's just like three one for two, and it kind of terminates a creature whenever it attacks. Right. Yeah. This should be able to target most things, so blocking is off the table as long as you have the firebrand. So maybe that's actually the better way to evaluate this card. As a two mana, three one that makes something unable to block. So, what's the name of the creature that does that, that has the bad escape from Hour of Devastation? Kenra. Earthshaker Kenra. I mean, that card was pretty good. That was 2-1 for 2, and then it had Eternalize for 6, came back as a 4-4. Yeah, but it has case as well. True. On Crop Crasher saw a lot of play in that standard as well. I mean, it was very, yeah. very hard to do combat against that deck. But I think Crusher is better than this. Oh, really? Hmm. I mean, haste is haste. Okay. I mean, the ability is better than it looks. The first ability, not the second one, I should say. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
so if you have like a mono red deck that needs to have humans and you don't like robber of the rich for some reason maybe this is a card you could consider but yeah yeah not having haste is kind of bad all right moving on the next card costs one and a white <laughs> guardian of new banalia two two human soldier banding is back yeah new banding neo banding this ability is called enlist as this creature attacks, you may tap a non-attacking creature you control without summoning sickness. When you do, add that creature's power to this creature's power until end of turn. So you have your 2-2 Guardia Benalia. Go to combat. I attack with my Guardia Benalia. I enlist some other creature I have. It gets to like treating that other creature as like a, I don't know, a vehicle or a equipment or something. You're borrowing its power. Guardian is now pumped up punching for a lot of damage and it also has an additional bonus whenever guardian of new banalia enlists a creature you get to scry too so that's pretty good and then if the case that wasn't enough because this is a rare it has more text discard a card at any time to give guardian of new banalia indestructible until end of turn and tap it two two for two so this is straight up competing with season hollow blade and i think it's better than hollow blade i think so too just because of the quantity of text but Kala Blades are 3-1, right? Am I ever going to use the enlist ability? I'm not sure. If you're, use, if you're planning on using the enlist ability semicons, I think in a lot of... I think in most combat scenarios you will, because how many times were you playing like a mirror or aggro base against aggro or against midrange, and the only creature you can attack with is the Hollow Blade because you don't trade. You just get to discard a card. That's never happened to me, but I will take your word for it. How come you never attacked the Hollow Blade? Well, I have, but not in like a mirror where everyone's no, no. stalled out. But you're playing like semi-stalled board. Your opponent has a choo-choo. You have a hollow blade and a choo-choo, and you hold your choo-choo back and attack with the hollow blade. I mean, the guardian to me it needs to trample or or some way to like actually punch through. Like, it needs to okay. get protection or something. The fact that you know you you have to tap a non-summoning sick creature, which yeah. kind of hurts, right? You should just be attacking with both these. Like, let's say it's a human's deck. Presumably, my other creature also has counters from. Thalia's Lieutenant or whatever. Like, I don't want to just send one creature unless I really, really need to scry. I mean, scry choose. I mean, if your opponent has no blockers, you're doing the same amount of damage while getting a scry two. Yeah, I mean, may maybe this one's, like, way better than Hallowblade, and I should say that Hallowblade is, like, almost good enough, even just as a, as a discard outload or something. Like, it's a very, very versatile effect, and putting that effect on an even more juiced-up creature has got to be a good thing. So, yeah, I expect this, you know... It's going to be cheap, pick up a playset, and we'll see what we can do with it. But it's a tool, it's not like a build-around, per se. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I think it's just an addition to that. It's not like an amazing card, it's like a good beatdown stick. Yeah. Alright, proceeding in exactly sequential order. <laughs> For now. Our next card costs blue and a red. Emmy, tell us about Joyra. So, beautiful Joyra. Either by a, bad either by a for artifacts as we better know it. Two mana 2-3, a blue and a red for a human artificer. You may tap Shora to put two infinity counters on itself, and then you may put an artifact card with mana value lower or equal to the number of infinity counters. So you tap her down, you may put a two drop into play, you tap her down again, you can put four a four drop or less into play, and so on and so forth. So kind of like a Aether Vial, but... Artifact Aether Vial and can be on a creature and can be lower, which is really important. There's the fun comment with Corridor Monitor. If it survives, you immediately get a 4-drop into play. Oh, interesting. Okay, so tap Joyra. 
put two ingenuity counters. That's enough to put your corridor monitor into play. Untap Joyra. Tap her. Now she's got four counters. Put uh, Phyrexia and Metamorph into play. Copy the corridor monitor. <laughs> we just keep going. We put corridor monitor, we put corridor monitor, we put Bola Citadel. Yeah, if our hand is exactly... <laughs> so your hand is... So you keep your seven and you have two lands... Two Corridor Monitors, Shogra, and Bola Citadel. And you have a three Citadel, all for yourself. Apart from the coolness of Joyra, the concern I have as a, as a brewer is that this effect is unique. You know, if you're thinking of it as a way to cheat something really expensive into play, the fact that it's attached to a creature makes your whole plan very, very vulnerable. So I'm not sure, like, if you can actually build a Joyra deck and expect to ever do your thing consistently. Like, they can interrupt you by just killing Joyra at any time. Yeah. However, she is 2-3 two, for 2. She is a legend if you're putting Mox Ambers in or something else. 2-3 two, for 2 is actually pretty good in Pioneer. And if it's like a bonus that you occasionally just tap Joyra for 6 or 8 mana or something, and, like, and you have something to put in, I mean, that would be incredible. Uh, which works great with Karn the Great Creator, right? You just <laughs> grab your most expensive artifact, tap Joyra, put in your 8-drop. I think it's just a solid dream. But I sadly don't think Shura will see any play outside of Commander specifically. Hmm. Okay. How about this next one? Wrath Weatherlight Stalwart. Beautiful human at one three human wizard, a blue and a white. Whenever you cast an instant or sorcery spell, you may tap two untapped creatures you control. If you drew, draw a card. And for five mana, you creatures you control get plus one plus one and vigilance. Is it weird that I like this card? I don't hate it, because if you have a lot of, like, trash creatures, Traveling Specter, Birth of Melodies token, and stuff like that just floating around, it just adds to a card to everything. The deck building asks are significant, right? You do have to have Wrath plus some other piece of material. Could be a Thraven Inspector, could be hard evidence or something like that. You need to have a bunch, a bunch of creatures, and you need to also have instants and sorceries, but... I mean, getting a free draw for no additional mana investment, I think that's the big part. Like, the reason that you would even consider Raph is that, you know, he, he doesn't have to tap or anything like that. Yeah. You can do it the same turn you cast Raph. And he's one of the creatures themselves you can tap, so something like turn one, Travis Spectre, or turn two Raph, turn three, any instant sorcery nets your card. Right, so you're just sitting around blocking with Raph and whoever else, <laughs> casting Consider and Opt as many times as you, as you like. Getting a free card, I mean, that seems pretty good. Yeah, it's an interesting card. I don't think, I don't know if it will see play, but to say the least, it's at least intriguing, right? One of those cards you just have in the back of your mind thinking, maybe I can play this today. Yeah, it's probably like a little bit too understated to actually like feel confident in, but I just want to give a shout out to his ability not being that bad. Yeah. Followed by that, we have one of... Magic's staple characters that has never had a face until now. So the Raven Man, one and a black, legendary creature, human wizard. The Raven Man, I mean, I believe he first appeared in like these side stories for Liliana Vess. Yes. And every time Liliana shows up and she gets a side story, she has this Raven Man appears to her in dreams. And what's cool is that they had concept art for the Raven Man years ago and then when they finally made a raven man card they just took that exact art so it's like art we've seen forever yeah and the, the art is very like arresting right this guy with amber golden eyes and he's got impressive robes 
people are wondering, like, who is this guy? Is it Urza? Is it, you know, Leshrock? And who is him? Well, he's the necromancer. I say that with, like, a little bit of disappointment. Like, they, they had him identified as Lim Duel, which I was like, okay, I love Lim Duel, right? I remember okay. that from Ice Age. Lim Duel the necromancer. Lim Duel's bold. But then it turns out that Lim Duel was just like a vessel and a chain of vessels going back to some original necromancer whose name is lost to time. And that's who the Raven Man is. So like Liliana would have become a vessel for the Raven Man in the okay. same way that Lim Duel, the necromancer, was a vessel for the original necromancer. So it's it's like the opposite of the lore in what's the ma- what's the name of the five of the creature that allows you to pay one of every color to cast any spell. This guy, like the artist, just him sitting down, like floating. Oh, Joda, Archmage Eternal. You, you remember the uh, the flavor text in Joda? It's like the exact opposite of this. Well, Joda is like the main character in the story for for this set. So oh, <laughs> we're seeing a lot of Joda. But but the, the flavor text in the original card is something like we expect the Joda the Shoda name to be a title for like a chronology of mages that has been being passed down through the centuries. It's like a professor saying that, and then you have Shoda, the Eternal, on the name. Dread Pirate Roberts, that kind of thing. Yeah. Like, <laughs> there was one original Dread Pirate Roberts, but he confers the title on the next ship captain. They assume it's that, but actually Shoda is just Eternal. Right, right. So it's like the opposite of here. We wanted him to be Lim... 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 Dool, ah, Lim Dool? Lim Dool. And it's actually just a passing title. So what does the Raven Man do? Well, for two mana, one and a black, you get a 2-1 legendary human wizard. At the beginning of each end step, if a player, if any player, discarded a card this turn, you get to create a 1-1 black bird with flying and this creature can't block. That's a little disappointing. I don't know why they had to throw that can't block clause on there. Yeah. But 1-1 flying birds are good. Um, You also get the ability to pay three and a black, tap the Raven Man, each opponent discards a card, activate as a sorcery. Uh, that's not that bad, actually. I mean, as far as grinding goes, but I think the static ability is the big draw. Play this in some kind of discard deck, get a bunch of free birds. It's cool that it can be your discard, it can be their discard, so Blood Token does it, Thought Seize does it. There's a lot of ways to trigger the Raven Man. Okay, yeah. Especially if you have a way with something like Legend Shredder, to make it done, or like Shades Rings Prodigy seems like the all star, right? Turn two Raven Man into turn, turn two Shades into turn three Raven Man plus Thoughtsies, get a trigger on your end step, on your opponent's turn, activate Shades, get another trigger. Exactly what you just said, but replace Jace with Ledger Shredder and actually play a card. <laughs> I think with Ledger Shredder, yeah, we actually have something. But you don't, you, you don't get, you don't get it on your opponent's turn, like on turn three. But yeah, it's better. That card that you made fun of me for, Liliana Steward, one mana, one two, tap sack, opponent discards a card. <laughs> you don't believe in Liliana Steward, it's a great card. <laughs> this is from my Tiny Bones deck when they finally print Tiny Bones into Modern. But Raven Man is like not as good as Tiny Bones, but no. he's still pretty cool. Give us Tiny Bones! We want Tiny Bones! Yeah, there's actually a lot of cards that like do work with this, right? Um, Liliana of the Veil, uh, Ledger Shredder is probably the biggest one. Crocs off, you're doing that. If you want to resurrect a Waste Knot deck, if you just want to play Gaia Reach Sanitarium, there's a bunch of ways to like get triggers off Raven Man, but the payoff is medium. Right? It's not like a huge payoff. Yeah, but turn 2 Raven Man into turn 3 Lily 
is at least really fun. True. Yeah, it provides birds for you to sacrifice to their lilies. Also, for everybody that lives in a bubble, Lena the Veil has been confirmed for this set. Which means, for any if anyone here cares about the lore, we, the Veil is in possession of Name Misset and the power. <laughs> but it implies that, that even if Lena tries to escape and the devil has been deactivated, she's still bound to it and like she's not free of what it has cost. Good. We're rooting for you, Liliana. Next up, Benelish Sleeper, one in a white creature, Phyrexian human soldier. That's a beautiful pipeline. <laughs> Three, one for two, so that's pretty good for a human. It has kicker black. When Benelish Sleeper enters the battlefield, if it was kicked, each player sacrifices a creature. So for two mana, you just get you know a random combat creature. For three mana, you get a fleshbag marauder. And that's actually pretty interesting. I mean, the stats, the base stats are good enough that if I'm just looking for some utility as I round out my humans, like, yeah, I, I could imagine that having access to this edict effect allows an aggressive human deck to punch through in ways that, like, maybe they would have otherwise been stymied by a big blocker. I'm just sad it's kicker and not, like, an ETV trigger. That's probably for the best. <laughs> yeah, yeah, with Extraction Specialist, it's for the best. Right, so you can't re-kick it on a blink or on an extraction specialist, right? So there's not that many shenanigans you can do with repeated triggers of Benelish Sleeper. If Lurus was legal, you, you could kick it off that, but <laughs> poor Lurus. I think the thing that I'm most excited about for Benelish Sleeper is actually the return of cheap kicker costs, because I love Roost of Drakes, and they haven't shown me a blue card yet, but as soon as they, they print more for my... Rooster Drake's <laughs> Goblin Bushwhacker deck. Like, cheap cards with Kicker 1. I'm all about it. Kicker 1 is all you need. Kicker 1, exactly. Followed by that, we have a card that might actually see play if Domain makes any amount of, se of sense in Pioneer. Nishova Brawler. 2 mana, star 3, Trample, Cat Warrior, Domain. Brawler's power is equal to the number of basic land types among lands you control. So best case scenario is a 2 mana, 5-3 Trampler. The thing is, 2-mana 3-3 Trample is already not that bad, and I think that's a really easy low, low setup for it. Like, one Triumph is all you need. So again, the Territorial Kavu disclaimer, we're not talking about Modern, because Never. Territorial Kavu has made all these domain cards obsolete. <laughs> we have Sire of Draco and Kavu, yeah. which are both insanely better. But in Pioneer... <laughs> It's a little bit harder to get the domain, right? You gotta have a fair bit of triumphs and a lot of shocklands. You have to tolerate having domain three or four for a while. Consistently. Is this enough of a payoff? Well, before Strangle was printed, I would have said, yeah, why not? Let's let's just take a chance on Nishopa Brawler, right? Not that many people are playing Fatal Push, so maybe I can get someone with a 5-3. But now that like Strangle has become a very popular card because of the existence of Ledger Shredder. It's like, okay, <laughs> I'm not expecting this to live that long. Where is Nakatl from? Alara, I think. The, uh, oh, okay, Nakatl okay, yeah, is from Alara. Okay. I was wondering how old it was. So in a Shoba Brawler, I mean, yeah, 5-3 Trample for 2 is okay. Like, trample is a very good ability, but I think it's not quite there. No, I think if it was consistently a 5-3, it would be great. But it's more likely consistently a 3-3. 
I think even if it was a 5-3, I mean, going back to that thing about, you know, yeah. best case scenario is it good enough. I'm actually not sure if a 5-3 trample for two is good enough. So I don't think it's a good payoff enough for domain, but it's a good role player if there's a domain deck. Like if we if we get better domain cards, this is a good role player in that deck. If there's like a five color domain that's like more controlish, and then you side in these brawlers to surprise them. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I like how it asks you to do something that you're not currently doing, right? No deck is trying to build this domain mana base no. right now. There's no domain in Pioneer, and there's no upside for it yet. You do have the really bad card, the two-man enchantment that makes one land all land types. Oh yeah, I like that one. Nylea's Presence. Yeah, enigmatic staple Nylea's Presence. <laughs> well, there you go. So maybe there's some hope for it. All right, next card is not very good, but it has a new counter type. It's called Impede Momentum, one in a blue sorcery, tap target creature, and put three stun counters onto it. If a permanent with a stun counter would become untapped, remove one stun counter instead. And that's just reminder text. So stun counters are, I don't know, is like a new evergreen thing. In addition to all that, you get to scry one when you cast Impede Momentum. So you're freezing, or stunning, I guess we just have to call it stunning. Why fight it? Stunning their creature for three turns, and you get to scry on a spell. So if you're in some kind of spells matter thing, this, this could be like almost a removal spell that keeps your density high. It's like not that far off playable, but being a sorcery kind of sucks. Yeah, if this was an instant, maybe there was some consideration for it, or at least drew a card instead of scry one. But yeah, I think this is unplayable. I'm just interested in what they do with stun counters. Yeah. And after that, we go to a beautiful card. Marvelous. Some might even say dubious. <laughs> this has got to be your favorite card so far, right? Oh yeah, by a mile. With this, so we have the best Rubble Master ever printed in Magic history. Squee, dubious monarch. Three mana choo haste, goblin noble, one red and two. Whenever Squid Dubious Monarch attacks, create a 1-1 Red Goblin token that's stopped and attacking. So it's the first Rubble Master with haste. It doesn't pump its tokens, but it has haste, which means unless you get to attack three times, it's better than having non-haste. However, you could actually make sure that most of the time the Rubble Master is going to get three hits in if it survives more than once. The upside here is it has escape. You may pay for and exile four other cards from your graveyard instead of paying squeeze mana cost. Not only has escape, it has uncontrollable escape. Oh no, you, you cast it. It has just normal escape for some reason. <laughs> it doesn't say escape because they cannot add mechanics from other sets because they are not evergreen, ta da da da, etc. etc. It has escape four, paying four. Yeah, so that's the immortal angle from Squee, although. In the storyline, he actually loses immortality, which is kind of sad. I'm taking it... Yeah, he loses immortality, and I'm taking it like, this is not Squee. It's just... I'm basing on nothing. Just the fact that Squee dies, and he just gets replaced by another goblin. And that's the escape mechanic flavor. <laughs> like, the dubious monarch is dubious because it keeps getting swapped. Whenever it dies, it's just a new Squee. So going back to the math, if I'm understanding you correctly, you're saying that in a head-to-head -head against Goblin Rabble Master, so Rabble Master, same mana cost, makes a 1-1 that attacks. But Squee, when you cast it, is attacking for 3. Yeah. Rabble Master, I think, if my math is not wrong, is 1-5. No, 
No, one seven. Right? So on the second attack step, you're attacking with the Rebel Master plus two goblins plus the Rebel Master bonus. I mean, it scales nicely because of that plus X plus O clause. Yeah, but, but I mean, it's one plus, so it's one into seven, like one plus six. Hmm. This is three plus four, which is always better if you get more damage on the start, of course. And on the third turn is where Rebel Master actually gets ahead by an extra two. So unless you get three turns with Travel Master, squeeze better. Not only because it's returnable, but also because it does the same amount of damage, but faster. And that's always better, right? Hitting for three on turn three is better than hitting for one. Especially if you're playing play, play something like a Planeswalker. This actually threatens a Liliana, while Travel Master doesn't. Yeah, I'm actually wondering if the Rebel Master comparison is a distraction. Because what you're saying about three mana for three three haste split across two bodies is actually super good. There's no other card that does that. No, no, that's an insane effect. That's actually a really good card. And adding escape to that, which means you're not getting rid of it easily, is really good. Like, imagine playing against Mono Rare, and on the late game, they just go, Squee. You kill a Squee. Next turn, Squee. I mean, at that stage, it's very, very similar to a Den of the Bugbear that never dies. And, you know, you've probably played against a bunch of Den of the Bugbear at this yeah. point, and you know just how devastating it is when that connects for damage. That's it's exactly that. Like, you just have to hope, like, oh gosh, I hope they don't activate this turn because I can't afford to take that hit. It's too much damage, and they get more material every turn. So, like, Squee, you'd have a ton of Den of the Bugbears now, and this one doesn't die. <laughs> it brings the creature even without additional mana investment. If you just clear the path, you know, Squee, turn three, slam your Torbrand, turn four, and, like, you're dealing lethal damage, practically. I just think it's really good. I think Squee is the best card spoiled by a mile. I think this card will see play in Modern, in Pioneer... Might even see some fringe legacy play in the decks that are playing Rubble Master and such, because turn one squeeze devastating. I like it. <sighs> yeah, I, I think you're right. I, the more we talk about it, the more I'm like, okay, this this card is the nuts. This is better than Liliana the Veil. <laughs> it's only the fact it has haste. People are sleeping on the fact Rubble Masters don't have haste. They attack you on the turn they come in, because they make the 1-1 one, one on beginning of combat, and this makes it an attack. They don't have haste. Okay, so we should spec hard on Squee. I mean, yeah, if it's going to see play as a four of in, in Modern, I mean, it's definitely going to be great in Pioneer. In Pioneer, it's amazing. In Modern, I think it will see play. Not only that, I think you will start on release, you will see a lot of Goblins players because people miss Goblins playing this. So there's a card called Battlecry Goblin, which was, I think, from one of those recent sets. It's like a bomb-limited card. This card is absolutely insane, Battlecry Goblin. But you just never play against it because goblins are bad. Once you start having to face Battlecry goblins, you're gonna be like, "What the heck? You know, <laughs> how how do they how do they print this card?" And like Battlecry goblin into Squee is a great start. All you need is one more creature to trigger the pack tactics. Yeah, and you just start getting swarm. And I think maybe a more aggressive version of goblins might see play. Like imagine Squee into next turn a, a goblin lord, or turn three a lord into turn four a Squee plus something. And you just get swarmed. Like, squeeze with a lord attacks for five that's already dangerous. Yeah. All right, I'm in. You've sold me on this. Let's call up goat bots and place an order for 1,000 copies of Squeeze Dubious Monarch. <laughs> okay. We'll, we'll offer to trade them our 1,000 paid lands that we bought earlier this week. I will give you 1,000 paid lands for 18 squeeze. <laughs>
All right, a uh, somewhat less exciting card. A Johnny Sleeper Agent. Honorary 3-drop because Johnny is a completed Planeswalker. This is the completed mechanic that we first saw on Tamiyo, the completed Sage. If you choose to pay the Phyrexian mana, you get to cast a Johnny for one fewer mana. You have to pay two life instead. And when you do that, you get two fewer loyalty counters. So you basically have two modes. You get a Johnny for four, in which case he comes down with four loyalty, or you get a Johnny for three, in which he comes down with three loyalty. Two loyalty. Sorry. Two loyalty. Thank you. It would enter my considerations with three. And I, at first sight, I thought it was three. Yeah, so three mana Planeswalkers are always worth a close look. So let's just think about the three mana mode. So you're paying one green, white, and two life. You get a two loyalty of Johnny, and he has three abilities. The first one, reminiscent of Domri Rod. Plus one, reveal the top card of your library. If it's a creature or a Planeswalker card, you get to put it into your hand. Otherwise, put it on the bottom. Okay, so this is better than Domri in two important ways. One, it gets Planeswalkers, so you just have, you know, you don't get stuck if you reveal a second to Johnny a higher percentage of your deck is eligible for this ability. And two, if you can't reveal it, if it's just like a land, you have the option to put it on the bottom, so it's card selection, whereas with original Domer, you just had to like look really embarrassed yeah. and put your card back on top of your deck. This can be much better read as Scry 1, if it's a creature or Planeswalker, draw it. And that makes, makes it sound better than it sounds when you read it, like the full-on text. Oh, I like that. Okay. Yeah, so like that ability does seem powerful. Yeah, that's not that bad in a three-mana three Planeswalker. Like, not bad at all. The downside is that the next two abilities are not that great, as I'm reading them. The next one is a minus three. So minus three means that you can't actually use this if you paid the Phyrexian cost, because you'll only have two loyalty initially. Minus three, distribute three plus one plus one counters among up to three target creatures. They gain vigilance until end of turn. So distribute them means if you only have one creature, that's fine. You can beef it up plus three plus three. Pretty good even. But it's not like, this doesn't scream to me like, this is worth a card. Maybe it is, maybe it isn't. That minus three ability. And it's definitely not a removal effect. Yeah. The fact it's a three mana planes walker makes me always like consider it in Pioneer. Three mana... It's a really niche spot for Planeswalkers. Like, every single Planeswalker that's playable tends to be three or four. Ignoring Brennan Six, which is an um, insult to nature. <laughs> but that was a mistake. That just happened. I just actually really like Ashani. Finally, the ultimate is minus six. Oh, it's so bad. You get an emblem with whenever you cast a creature or Planeswalker spell. Drumroll, please. Target opponent gets two poison counters. I don't know what they were doing with this. Like, they were like, we gotta give him an ultimate, and it has to be a really bad ultimate. It has to be Phyrexian related and bad. I know, two counters, two infect counters. It could have been four. Also, Dan, um, we got an additional... Wow! Oh, that's bad. I got excited for nothing. So, additional wave of spoilers just came in. Oh, that's... Two mana 1-1 one, one flash. When it enters the battlefield, create a 1-1 one, one creature token. White and colorless. Is that the best Racy Alarm effect ever printed? 1-1 one, one flash for one and a white ETB make a token? Yeah. Yeah. Is that a human? Yep. Human soldier. That's not bad. That's okay. Yeah. I don't hate it. And then we have Spellseeker with a lot of problems at home. 4 mana 3-3, three, three, enter the battlefield, search your library for an instant sorcery card with mana value 1. Okay. 
They could have made it cost three. Three mana choo-choo, come on. Give me the sauce. Does it work with ephem ephemerate the way you want it to? Yes. Okay, so that's not nothing. Yeah, and for mana 4-4, four, four, when it enters into play, look at the top seven cards of your library. You may reveal an equipment or vehicle, put them in your hand. Equipment you control have equip one, and vehicles you control have crew one. What are the names of these freshly revealed cards? So we have Astor, Better of Blades, which is the four mana four for Boros that looks seven, puts an equipment or vehicle into your hand, and they have crew or equip one which is going to be the shell of a really bad deck we're going to brew with Parhelion and Colossus Hammer, but that's a problem for the future. Micromancer, which is Spellseeker but bad. Resolute Reinforcements is a card I absolutely love, which is the best raise the alarm. And Lightning Strike, which is Lightning Strike. Okay. All right, so with those unscheduled spoilers, let's go back to the actual spoilers. I know, I know, but I just saw them and I was like, oh, spoilers. Raise the alarm on a creature. Is there, no, no, that's actually, I think it's actually really good. Like, we're laughing, but I love it. Yeah, I mean, we're in a new meta where everyone's going to be playing the Bendler Sleeper that has Kicker to become a Flashback Marauder. And everyone's going to be playing the next card, Liliana of the Veil, reprinted into Standard, reprinted into Pioneer. We talked about this in our last mailbag segment. You know, someone had asked, what if Innistrad Block were in Pioneer? And... You know, Lily on the Veil is one of the cards that you think of as being iconic for Innistrad. Is that too powerful? I think we all agreed that, no, it's not too powerful for Pioneer. I think it's going to be pretty good, but not too powerful. Hmm. I Yeah, I think we all agree on that. I have seen people cry that it's going to be busted, but I think that's a mistake. Yeah, it's definitely not busted. I'll just come out and say that right now. It is going to be very good, like the people who are leaning too hard in the other direction and being like no it's it's too risky against Arclight phoenix and stuff like it's, it's risky but you know it's not it's not the end of the world anytime you can play liliana get a clean minus two and empty their battlefield like you're you're way ahead it's hard to come back from that unless they have squee <laughs> then, yeah. then you're screwed i'm not i'm not gonna stop talking about squee like i'm gonna play that squee love it or not so we're definitely gonna test this card a lot so i think everyone's gonna be trying it in pioneer yeah the argument I've heard most persuasively is that, you know, the, the current flavors of Red Black, which is one of the top decks, if not the top deck in Pioneer, plays Fable of the Mirror Breaker as its best three drop, and that Fable is emblematic of, like, the current phase of magic that we're in, in which everything is high resource, you just can never run anyone out of resources because they're all playing these cards that are worth three or four cards at once, and that it's just better to increase your own resources instead of trying to whittle the opponent down, which is what Liliana the Veil does. So it's almost like the soul of Red Black is going to be decided in this battle between Lily and Fable. Yeah, I think Fable is better than Lily. Oh, you're killing me, Mord. <laughs> I mean, you're killing me. Maybe that's just the new age, but... Uh, it's possible. Fable is always a two-for-one. <laughs> Have you ever seen Fable not be a two-for-one? It's always a two-for-one, at, at least, if not much yeah, more. Yeah. Uh, I mean... It has two sides you have to fix, plus card selection. But it's not disruptive, and Liliana is super disruptive. She's like the most disruptive, most interactive card you can imagine. Yeah, but the rest of the deck is really disruptive. Sure, sure. That's, no, it's like, true. I think Fable is great in the colors, like in Bractos, because you have the push, the Thoughtsies, the Dures, the Goblins doing the interaction. Eventually, you need something that's going to put you ahead after all the interaction. 
Yeah, so things to keep in mind about Liliana in Pioneer is that a lot of decks are playing stuff that uses their own graveyard, right? So <laughs> Plus into Phoenix. <laughs> Grease Fang, right? They're happy to like discard the Parhelion or whatever. A lot of decks are playing Delve. So you shouldn't expect too much out of the plus one. There's always the risk, right? If Liliana is everywhere, I'm going to be playing all kinds of Nullhide Ferox decks. <laughs> you can play Locked on Smiter if that's your jam. I know David loves Orvar, the all form. Uh, these are options in case Liliana becomes super good. Maybe it's time for that fight rigging Nullhide Ferox deck we were talking about to like finally yeah. finally pop off. I should go buy a thousand Nullhide Ferox's on Goatbox. <laughs> just also, get ahead of the curve. Based on the previous spoilers, just tiny, tiny cry from Mord. The bad spell seeker is a three three instead of a two three, which breaks my heart because if it was a two three, I would actually play it. Just so I could recruit her for a favorite. Oh my gosh. <laughs> and now I can't, and life is sad. So we expect greatness from Leila the Veil, but, you know, it's a tough new world out there. We wish her the best. I expect it to be good, but I'm just waiting for the moment. People, Everybody's playing Liliana, they can just play Celestia Little Kids and play Luxon Spider. Exactly. And just my opponent's pluses and they go, Luxon Spider! Yay! <laughs> Did I ever tell you the story of the greatest, of the worst call against command in Magic's history? The worst Coligans command in Magic's yeah. history. So, a Ragdos player against a Celestia player. Ragdos attacks with a 3-3. Opponent blocks with Luxon Smiter. And then he goes for Coligans command to damage discard the Celestia player's last card. Of course, Celestia's player's last card is um, Wildly Fleech. So, Luxon Smiter becomes a 6-6. It doesn't die to the Coligans command. And he got a 3-4 for that's going to attack for 10 next turn with the Luxon Smiter. Oh my god. <laughs> That's the future we're in for, boys. Yeah. All right, next card up, Zero Eternal Schemer. This one I don't think has the juice to make it a constructed, no. but it's a cool card. How does it work? Oh, okay, so let's read it first before I ask the double question. White, blue, black, 1-4 Human Wizard with flying, just like the original Zuer, but one mana cheaper. Static text, enchantment creatures you control have death touch, lifelink, and hexproof, so they get a nice bonus, all your enchantment creatures, whatever those may be. As many reflection of Kiki-Jikis as you happen to have now have hexproof. That's actually kind of cool. He also has an activated ability for one and a white target non-aura enchantment you control, becomes a creature in addition to its other types, and has base power toughness equal to its mana value. That's a permanent animation, it's not yes. temporary. So if you had what like, like some ley lines in play or something, um, Zur can animate those. So how does Zur work with Dress Down? The podcast has just crashed. <laughs> the brains cannot compute this question. <laughs> oh my god! Layers over layers of crap. How does Zur work with? Oh, so shut up! I'm not gonna add you. I'm just gonna wait for you to listen to this eventually and answer my question. I'm not going to go look for answers. I'm going to just trust implicitly that they're going to reply to me around Saturday or Sunday. It should be impossible, right? You should never be able to activate Zur when Dressdown is in play. That's my hope. <laughs> because Dressdown just blanks Zur, right? So anytime Dressdown is in play, Zur does nothing. Yeah, we can just have hope. <laughs> okay. Somehow it can happen. We pray for the judges out there that that's how it works. <laughs> but who knows the truth? Like, we just remove the text from Dressdown, transform it, then give it back, and then we just crash into an endless symbiosis of chaos. Yeah. 
All right, next card up is one that I think is a little more promising. It's Braid's Arisen Nightmare. Braid's comes in at three mana now. One black, black, legendary creature, Nightmare, for a 3-3. So that's not bad, right? She's gone from a four mana 2-2 to a three mana 3-3. Sounds like straight upgrades. Her ability now triggers on your end step instead of your upkeep. At the beginning of your end step, you may sacrifice an artifact, creature, enchantment, land, or planeswalker. She'll take anything. <laughs> if you do, each opponent may sacrifice a permanent that shares a card type with a card you sacrificed. For each opponent who doesn't do that, who doesn't sacrifice, they lose two life, you draw a card. So in multiplayer, you could potentially be drawing a ton of cards. Braids is very cool in multiplayer. Let's just focus on one-on-one, -on -one, though. So on the surface, it's a Punisher effect. Punisher is when your opponent has a choice of, like, pick their own poison, and we found those cards are really bad and constructed. I would like to make the case, however, that Braids is not truly a Punisher because you have the choice of what to sacrifice first, and you can just choose to not let them have the choice, right? Take the choice away from them, sacrifice a permanent of a type that they don't have, and then you're guaranteed your Dark Confidant. I think that's the best way to see this card. I don't think you can ever see... Like, Punisher effects don't work. Punisher, we know in Magic, Punishing doesn't work. So we have see, we have to see this as a card that you can sacrifice to draw a card, bring your opponent, and sometimes it's going to suck against, like, Ragdoll Sacrifice, for example. Because you're going to sacrifice an artifact and you're going to sacrifice a black. Right. Yeah. I mean, if the opponent matches all your types... You're gonna be disappointed in brains. So you have to I think you have to read this card as three mana three three. At the beginning of your end step, you may sacrifice a type. Uh you may sacrifice a non-land permanent, unless it's yeah, it's gonna be non-land permanent to gain to, to your opponent loses your life and you draw a card. Because if it's in the late game you sacrifice a land, your opponent's gonna sacrifice a land. So it's almost like the opposite of original braids, right? Original braids, you want to make both players sacrifice lands. This braids tricks you into that. It says, hey, if you want to sack your land and have your opponent sack their land, you can do it, but this is just not going to happen. It's not going to work because of that Punisher effect. So just treat this as a Dark Confidant that drains them, and I think you're going to have much better results. It's like a card draw engine, attacks your life total, and gives you a sacrifice outlet. So if you want to sack your Implemented Combustion, your Unlucky Witness, like Braids is another outlet for all of that. I do think Braids is better than it looks. Oh yeah, I think this... I don't think it's fair and it looks. I think it looks good and it's good. Oh, okay. I think you just have to analyze it on the side of this not being like a punishing taxing effect, but rather a card advantage sack outlet effect. Like, this is not original braids. This is not a, I'm trying to devastate my opponent. It's a, I want to get ahead on resources kind of card. Core vault for three. It's exactly. It's <laughs> core vault at home. Yeah. But I would see this in a Corbel deck just because of how useful it would be. Like, that's what I'm looking for, like, rather than the other braids. Now we go on to four mana, and our first four drop is one that I really like. Soul of Wind Grace. Jund, legendary creature, one black, red, green, cat avatar, five, four. So these are decent stats. I mean, I played Zeator's Envoy at the same mana cost, which was terrible. I have a little more hope for Soul of Wind Grace. <laughs> When Soul of Windgrace enters the battlefield or attacks, so we got a Titan Clause, we have a Titan Alert. Whenever that happens, you may put a land card from any graveyard, any graveyard, yours or theirs, onto the battlefield tapped under your control. That's pretty good. So this this is Omnath at Ho, Omnath at Shan. 
Jundanath? Jundanath. Mm. Am I crazy? Like, I think this card is actually pretty good. It has more text, but the rest of the text is not that good. The rest of the text is, he has three different activated abilities that each require paying mana, discarding a land, and getting some minor effect. That's all fine, but I feel like the the real strength of Solo Wind Grace is like, four mana, slam it, ramp yourself, attack, ramp yourself. Card advantage and ramp is very, very dangerous. Card advantage... So this accomplishes that great effect that it's mana advantage because you're getting back lands, and then every land you draw that's going to become useless, you just give it the extra use. That's how you tend to... I don't think you want to play this in like a ramp deck, but rather you play this, you get your lands from the graveyards as you attack or play, and then you use the lands you draw as a cycle effect for two mana or to protect it or to gain life. So you don't think it's a ramp card. You think that I should just top out the curve at four so that all my extra lands can be discarded to the soul of Ingrace. I th- Yeah, I think this is more like a shunt card. Hmm. I see this more like a shunt card than a ramp card. Okay. That could be true. I mean, I feel like it's like a mini Primeval Titan. I don't know. I just can't get past that. I feel like it's a Primeval Titan. Yeah, maybe. But I like the card. I don't think it's a, I don't think it's bad. I mean, 4 mana 5 for Trump on ETV is pretty good. So you have to have something in your graveyard first. There's a few different ways to do that. Fabled Passage, Fable of the Mirror Breaker, a lot of fables, discarding lands. Uh, in Modern, obviously, you have your fetch lands, you have their fetch lands. Maybe this is good enough in Modern, I'm actually not sure. I don't think so, but it's at least something to take into consider. I don't think you can. this is a card you can just ignore. I think this is a card you just forget about and eventually it crushes you. Hmm. Okay. Do you want to talk about this saga? Yeah. So, the facing of Sulfur. A really interesting way to introduce a new mechanic with a really skill-intensive card. So, we get the mechanic read ahead. So, when you play it, it's a mechanic only for sagas, and when the saga enters the battlefield, you choose on which step it enters the battlefield. So, we have four mana enchantment saga, two blue, two any color. First and second step, you may face out a, a permanent that a non-land permanent that doesn't face in until the saga leaves play. Followed by third step, destroy all creatures for each creature its owner gets a 2-2 black Phyrexian token. So mass pongify. So how does this work? When you play this, you have two alternatives, three alternatives. You play it on the third step immediately and you have a four mana mass pongify. You play it on the second step, so you get a turn to protect one of your creatures, and then the next turn, when your creature face out, you make a wrath, or on first step, and you set up for a long time wrath. This is such a mind bend of a card. Yeah, yeah, it's insane. Usually when they have like, oh, it's a new mechanic, it's a variant of kicker. I'm like, yeah, whatever, I'll just I'll just figure it out. But like this this new mechanic of read ahead is super, super complex. Like it's simple in what your choice is. You just play your saga and choose what chapter you start on. But it's going to play out so differently, right? Like, the fact that Chapter 3 is a Wrath, or Mass Pong... Mass... What do you call it? Mass Pongify? Mass Pongify. <laughs> yeah. And then the first two abilities, the first two chapters, either target your stuff or their stuff. It's non-land permanence. doesn't have to be creatures, right? But it probably should be if you want to work with the Wrath. But it doesn't have to, right? If you just want to remove a problematic Planeswalker for two turns, Phasing of Zelfir does that too. Or just for one turn, or you can start on chapter two if you want to. I mean, it's super, super complex. Sorry, I'm just, I'm just noticing the pattern in the staff is extremely similar to Mishra's Bubble. What, you think the artwork is Mishra's Bubble? 
no, that's Teferi's stuff. But the art in the lower part is extremely similar to the Mithra bubble. No. Isn't that just a Zelfir? Maybe. Hmm. I might just be going insane, nothing new. <laughs> as far as art conspiracies go, it's like, is this or Lord of the Rings? You gotta pick one. <laughs> you can only have one art conspiracy at a time. You have Lord of the Rings. I have the Fetis, actually, Mishra. Okay, okay. I like that one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I don't see an obvious home or use for this yet, but I think it's because my mind is like not willing to process it yet. Yeah. So it's weird. It's a wrath effect on mono blue, so all of a sudden it's strange. Next up, the big bad of the set, Shieldred, the Apocalypse, our ah. fourth Phyrexian Praetor. Why is it so bad? Two black black, legendary creature, Phyrexian Praetor, 4-5 Death Touch. Whenever you draw a card, you gain two life. Whenever an opponent draws a card, they lose two life. Why is such a magnificent title like Children of the Apocalypse gets wasted on such a terrible <laughs> card? It's because the rest of the set is so juiced. They had to. It's worse than it's worse than every other single card we have read so far. Like, Sur has better text than this, and I and nobody freaking cares about Sur the Enchanter. <laughs> Squee is better than this. They could have given this text to Squee. Like, sorry, the other way around. Sheldon could have had squeezed text being a three mana juju haste because its legs in the in the flavor its legs just spread around so they could have literally made it make a one one phyrexian whenever it attacks and it would have been more interesting than whatever the fuck this is. <laughs> I don't disagree. Sheldon is bad. The point I do want to make is that I know some people will hear this and be like, "Well, but wait, there's a combo you can do with you know greed or gristle, but who knows what else?" Like, there's probably some combos that exist. Here, you have to be disciplined when you're brewing. The fact is that Shale Dread costs four, does not have an ETB. So Shale Dread by herself is not a good card. Yeah. She rewards you for drawing cards. Like, the reward is minor, and drawing cards, you already wanted to do that. At least you go infinite with Grisel Run. So if you're thinking, I can combine Shale Dread with something else to make a combo, like, what well, you're talking about combining a bad card with something that is likely also a bad card to make a combo based on you drawing cards, which, like, you already wanted to do anyway, like, it's just not good. I mean, my problem with Sheoldred is not her being bad, it's her being boring. She is kind of boring. Because the original creators are not powerful cards because they're really expensive, but you look at boring clicks, making sure your opponent lands on the top. You, may, you look at the original Sheoldred, which is a sack outlet, you're making your opponent sacrifice plus row, Elishnorn as a mass wipe plus burst, original. Like, all the new creators have been boring. She does feel kind of like AI generated, right? Like yeah, machine like learning. The other predators are at least slightly interesting, like boring clicks, double counters. So it was not as powerful. It was not as magnific magnificent as the others, as the original one. But it was fun. Um, Udabrask at least was interesting in that it taxed your opponent hand, and it was like a five four four flyer haste, and it had like stakes. This is just boring. Yeah, and. and Shining Dactions was also like, like all of them were like smaller versions of the original, but at least interesting. This one just has less text. Than, this could be a common. <laughs> That's devastating. This could be an uncommon. This could be an uncommon. Just look at the text. She should be legal in that popper EDH format. <laughs> yeah, like for, this could be a format of 4 4 with that exact text and would be an uncommon. 
That's the problem. She's boring. Yeah. I mean, the strength is whenever an opponent draws a card, they lose two life. That's pretty good, but it's not good enough. Like, not for... I mean, it's even worse than the expert creature from Capena that made your opponent lose, card, lose life whenever you draw a card. <laughs> All right. Sorry, Shaldred. Please don't complete us for saying these nasty things about you. And she's so huge. Look at the art. It's like a huge freaking ass worm with spreadable legs that just transform into mini creatures. And instead it's like a sad form and a 4-5 that doesn't even make a token. Alright, next card up is also pretty boring, but I think this one I would at least consider playing. It's Archangel of Wrath. The artwork shows an angel who looks an awful lot like a Chroma to me. She's got that same color scheme. But this is not a legend, this is just a regular angel. Two white white, three four, flying lifelink. Double kicker, right? Kicker black and or kicker red. So you can kick it once, twice, or zero times as you like. When Archangel of Wrath enters the battlefield, if it was kicked, it deals two damage to any target. If it was double kicked, it deals another two damage to any target. So that's potentially for six mana, for two white, white, black, red, you're getting your three, four flying lifelink and two shocks pointed at any targets you like. Can be the same target, can be different targets. <sighs> David says it in a magnificent way, the terrible bone crusher. <laughs> 7 total power toughness, 2 damage for 5 mana. He's only kind of wrong. I mean, it's definitely a lot less useful. Like, I'm wondering, where am I playing these 5 drop instead of, like, the original 5 mana 5-5 five, five lifelink angels? With first strike and such. Well, here's the thing, right? I mean, it's, it's cheaper, right? So it is a somewhat plausible 4-drop, 3-4 flying lifelink. The comparison to Bone Crusher breaks down a little bit in the sense that you do gain life yeah. off the kickers, right? So because the Archangel is the one dealing the damage, the lifelink clause applies. So you're actually getting to do two little mini helixes, potentially like an eight-point swing just from the kicker when you cast Archangel of Wrath, potentially a three-for-one if you kill two things. The ceiling is very high if you talk yourself into it. However, this is, you know, we're talking about four or five or six mana. You're asking a lot for your cards. Why would I be doing this? Maybe I've talked myself into like an Angel Tribal, maybe with Giada Font of Hope. Maybe I've finally built that Kalia Zenith Seeker deck that I've been talking about for years. Archangel of Wrath could fit there. I think as like a Mardu Jundi midrange card, it's so-so. But it's not terrible. It's not just like worse than Bone Crusher set it aside. Okay. I think. But yeah, I don't expect to see a lot of this card, just... Don't rule it out. Like it actually is useful. I mean, it's the, if you if you're playing like a creature deck and your opponent casts these, all of a sudden gains for life, kills two of your creatures, and gets a three-four flying life linker. I can see life draining out of your eyes. But still, eh. <laughs> okay. All right. Talk about this next one here. So we have Kalitas at home. Nemata, Guardiana Primigenia, Primeval Guardian. Primigenia is not primeval. But okay. <laughs> like, that's not the correct translation. Um, legendary creature, Trifold, Reach. If a creature opponent controls would die, instead exile it. When they do, create a 1-1 one, one Saproling green token. So, Kalitas, that makes 1-1 one, one Saprolings instead of Zombies, has Reach instead of Lifelink. However, you may pay green and sacrifice a Saproling to give it plus 2, plus 2. Or you may pay 1 and a black, sacrifice 2 Saprolings to draw a card. I think Kalidas is better on the whole. 
Like yeah. if I if I had to choose. However, unless I'm playing Subroadings already, like for some godforsaken reason. <laughs> yeah, I suppose so. <laughs> that is true. I mean, previous Dominaria. I said original Dominaria. Talking about the Dominaria from four years ago. Why can't be killed by all the boomers now? Original Dominaria four years ago gave us the bad Subroading Lord and such. Which card was that? Two mana, two two Subroading Lord, literally. Oh, yeah, yeah, that's right. I'm sticking to my guts that original Dominaria is Dominaria United. <laughs> Sorry, what's the name of the Dominaria from a few years ago? I'm sticking with my guts that this original Dominaria. Everything before that didn't exist. Oh, it's just plain old Dominaria? Okay, that's original Dominaria. I, mean, I think you're right. I think that was the first Dominaria set, in my opinion, because yeah. they tried to like make a Dominaria lore for the first time. Oh, Richard Garfield wasn't that set for the first time since Sinistral. Yeah, I mean, that's what's so weird about like all the nostalgia of this set, is that it doesn't feel nostalgic to me because we just did this a few years ago. <laughs> yeah, they, but did, for... they did the nostalgia tour four years ago. It does feel nostalgic for me because I didn't feel nostalgia in the original one because I was just started, so I didn't know anything about what I was seeing. Mm, I see. So this is the first time I feel nostalgia about what I'm reading because this is the first time I can actually correlate it to something. Yeah. Story choices aside... One thing I have noticed is that David is often like showing me a mid-range list and he's got like one Kalidus on the sideboard and everything else on the deck is Gigantha compatible. Is one Kalidus on the sideboard enough to give up Gigantha? No. For me it isn't, so I usually just cut the Kalidus and directly replace it with Gigantha. <laughs> Nemata does not make you choose, right? Nemata just works with Gigantha, that's good. Works with Niv if you're doing that. Yeah, but Kalidus has Lifelink, which I think is a huge difference. Lifelink is a lot better than Reach. Well, it's not... It's like a little bit better. You need a lifelink to make up for the fact that it can't block the Ledger Shredder as Phoenix is, <laughs> which Namada just naturally does. So okay. Namada also stabilizes you a decent amount. Um, the two different options in the sacking, right? Sack to pump, it's not that good, but sack two saplings to draw a card is actually pretty good. So yeah, Namada is good enough. It's not going to be a huge build around card, but it's good enough for decks that want a Kalidos. Mm -hmm. I agree. I agree with the fact it's better than not having Shiganta, but it's it's tough. Its sacrifice abilities are a lot better than Kalidas, that's for sure. Alright, we're getting into the five drops now, so these cards are unlikely to see any play, but we gotta mention Solkanar because Solkanar the Swamp King, what a card. I mean, beautiful artwork. The Swamp King? The original Solkanar from Legends, and I think it was oh, okay. in Time Spiral Remastered, or... Time shifted, Something. whatever. Sweet card. 5-5, five, five, Swamp Walk, Gain a Life, etc. They bring back Sulkanar. Same mana cost. Two, blue, black, red. 5-5. Five, five. Instead of having Swamp Walk, he has a trigger that triggers on your end step and gives you... Stuff. Yeah, exactly. Stuff. <laughs> so, this is... What if we made... What's the name of the pack? Demonic Pact, yeah. So what if we made Demonic Pact, but we had to make the effects so weak because the downside is not actually losing the game. So we have to make sure the downside from Demonic Pact was low enough that you did... So they made sure that the payoff for the upside of it is not strong enough that without a downside that's only give your opponent this creature, you would play it. So we have a 5 mana 5-5. Five, five. At the beginning of your end step, choose one of the four modes which is, and it has to be one that hasn't been chosen, draw a card, drain two life to your opponent, deal three damage to up to 
one other target creature or planeswalker, and then return it, excite it and return it under your opponent's side. Is this a good card? I don't think so. What I do know is that David is gonna give a million ticks to the Magic Gods. And I think, I think Danny's gonna agree with me on that, that David is just gonna waste a myriad of ticks on it. Why? Because it reminds him of his childhood 94 years ago. <laughs> and it's Grixis. It's like a great card for Grixis medium. Needs Swamp Walk though, TBH. <laughs> you just need it to have. I mean, if you're not gonna give me an ETB, you gotta give me a Swamp Walk. Throw me a bone. Wait, oh no, it just happened. It happened. It has happened. What if we enchant Sur with one with the stars? Is this a brand new spoiler happening in real time? No, no. One with the stars is a four man enchantment from Tedos that makes a card an enchantment that loses all other card types. So, from new Tedos, four man enchantment. Enchantment permanent is an enchantment that loses all other card types. So, you transform Sur into an enchantment that's no longer a creature. So you're trying to give Zur Zur hexproof lifelink and death touch. This is so as, this is the goal. Yeah. Giving giving Zur hexproof. Yeah. There has to be a better way. You have a one power lifelink death touch hexproof. <laughs> yeah. There has to be a better way to make Zur an enchantment. All right, another five drop here. Uh, this one is not playable again because it doesn't have an ETB, but it's kind of cool. It's the Filer of Dreams, three blue blue. 4-3 Phyrexian Sphinx. It gives all of your blue permanent spells the option to pay Phyrexian mana. That is to say, as an additional cost to cast your blue permanents, you can pay two life, and for each two that you pay, you reduce their cost by a blue pip. It also says whenever you cast a blue permanent spell, draw a card. So there's payoff here. David points out that uh, Moonsnare prototype is actually pretty sweet with Defiler of Dreams. Just pay it for two life draw a card but i mean it's just it's just too expensive five minutes too much i mean if we find a way to end life we can just go off with like stuff like mausoleum wanderer and the bird that's a white and a blue mana and just like a million one mana one blue mana permanence oh i see so it just keeps chaining right you're casting them for free and you just try to chain and you just like make a pseudo storm of like eight nine spells consistently I mean, that's so tempting, but it, yeah, is there any way to get this into play faster? My problem is, if the Fighter of Dreams had been an artifact, which means I could cheat into it with... Wait, Blue Steel! This such Blue Steel! For the hypothetical artifact version that doesn't exist? <laughs> no, 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 it doesn't have to be an artifact version regardless. But in Blue Steel, most of the cards, a lot of the cards already accomplish this. But you can't, I mean, it's just too expensive, you can't... I'm down to make bad decisions. How are you going to get this into play? I'm going to play for Monster Prototype alongside other blue base ramp. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right. Okay. Next is Sphinx of Clear Skies. Ohudai Batpar. 5 mana 5-5. Five five. Sphinx, 2 blue and 3 any color for a 5-5 five five flying world 2 with domain. Whenever it deals combat damage to a player, rebuild the top X cards of your library, where X is the number of basic land types among lands you control, and opponent separates them into two piles, you put one pile into your hand, the other into your graveyard. So whenever it connects, it makes a mini factor of fiction or a big factor of fiction or big factor of fiction, 
depending on your amount of card types. I do like this idea that sphinxes are factor fiction tribal. There was Unesh, yeah. the cryo sphinx sovereign, had that ability. The question here is like, how how good is Ward two, right? Because everything else is a fail, right? You just can't have this is not an ETB, right? It's whenever it deals combat damage. If this had been a four drop and then just scale appropriately, I would have loved this card. I think you should you could just play Ohutai whenever you would play this. Right. Yeah, you need actual hexproof, and now we'll just die to Liliana of the Veil or that uh, <laughs> Benelish Sleeper Agent, so not feeling the Sphinx of Clear Skies. We move on. We move on to the world spell. Seven Mana Saga with Rita Hair. I didn't notice this had Rita Hair on my first side. That's interesting. First and second step, look at the top seven cards of your library. You may reveal a non-Saga permanent card from them and put it in your hand. On the third step, put up to two non-Saga permanent cards from your graveyard onto the battlefield. The non-Saga part is so this doesn't loop itself infinitely. Mm. Because if you play, you have a world spell, you got like two world spells plus a mock fanatic would be lethal. So that's the non-Saga part. Oh, because you, well, you have to because keep you recycling them somehow. No, though. you have red ahead. So we just go to third, 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 third. But they don't come back from the graveyard. Oh, it's from your hand into the battlefield, yeah. Yeah, you have to fire your cycle. Yeah, I don't think this card is great, like, at all. Unless you use this as a really bad, like, through the bridge and put into play something like Senagos plus Emrakul in a three mana combo, which requires seven mana. So it reminds me of Tooth and Nail, right? Tooth and Nail costs seven yeah. and then two to entwine. And the chapter three is very, very similar to that clause on Tooth and Nail. Just put two things into play. Tooth and Nail, if you entwined it, paid nine, you got to tutor up the other two things, and you just like immediately combo. Yeah. I don't think this is really good. Whereas World Spell actually does find two things, right? You have chapter one and two, if you want them, to dig for pieces. And then you get that Tooth and Nail... On turn three, you just put the things into play, right? So you drop in your Emrakul and your Xenagos. Or if you already have them in hand, you just immediately go to it. It's interesting to like play in that space again, I'll just say that much. But seven mana is a little bit too much, I think. Yeah, I think seven mana. If this had been like a five or six mana spell, and you could like feasibly make your own tooth and nails because at the look seven you start finding the payoffs, like on a correct amount of previous turns, I would like it. But then if you make it five, this is just strictly better through a breach. I'm sorry, sneak attack. Strictly better sneak attack? That's, yeah. I mean, I it's not strictly that, better. Right? I, it's not strictly better, but instead of putting one Emrakul with haste, you get to put two permanents and they stick. So if this had been five mana, it would be a card on competition with sneak attack. Because it, it is also permanent, it's not even creatures. You could put like Bolasita del Palace Airflux Reservoir. Okay. Well, you got my attention, but yeah. This is a, a Dreamer's card. Maybe, this is a maybe Dreamer's a, card. a Jank Brew kind of card. Yeah. And then we have... Oh, so really fun, because now that we talk about that, I lost two Minotaurs today on Pioneer. Which card? Minotaurs. No, I lost two that tribe. So there's a card that's not from Teros itself. It's like the same place as Scoreball. You know, that weird card not in the set, but legal. Oh yeah, it's like from a supplementary deck, but yeah. it's technically standard legal, so therefore pioneer legal. Eight mana sorcery, look for four minotaurs, put them into play. Death Bellow Warcry. 
Yes, I lost you that. They hit me for 42 on turn four. So they had, what, Iron Craig feet and yep. something else? Yep. No, they went turn two, cleansing wildfire. Turn three, fable of the mirror breaker. <laughs> turn four, kill me with... It was devastating. I almost cried. Not gonna lie. It hurt. <laughs> I was not expecting to lose two managers today on my Pioneer League. But alas, life is cruel and sometimes it happens. Also, 8-mana win the game for a single card was interesting. Because it has no deck building restriction. Except filling your deck with Minotaurs. Just and fine. You gotta play no, some no. bad ones. I mean, there's some sketchy Minotaurs in there. No, but two of them were the ones, the land one. Which one? The one that's a land. The Akroan Warrior. But doesn't it have to be different names? You can have one can be the Akum Warrior. Yeah, they went for one of that, one from the Ragdos, that one that's the important one because it gives plus two plus so to every other attacking Minotaur, one that gave haste, mm. and X other Minotaur. But the thing is, it, it was playing Cleansing Wildfire, Fable of the Mirror Breaker, Six Mana Chandra, Vessel of whatever it is, the one that you sacrifice the enchantment. Really fun, bad deck. Vessel of Volatility. Yes. Something that would come out of, out of a psycho spine. Yeah, I got crushed, was devastating emotionally, almost cried myself to sleep. <laughs> that sounds like a big day for you, Mort. Yeah, it was tough, it was tough. All right, last card we'll do for this installment is Herd Migration. This is a seven drop, but it's actually a two drop because you can channel it effectively. One in a green, discard the Herd Migration to search your library for a basic land card. Reveal that, put it into your hand, then gain three life. So that effect is functional, but slow, right? It's like basic land cycling plus three life. The three life yeah. matters. It means you're not falling too far behind, but you're also not getting ahead. And I think that's the crux of it here. If if this actually put a land into play, I would pay three for it even. But at two mana, not putting a land into play, it's like, eh, probably not. That's the two mana mode. The seven mana mode, which is the normal mode, is six and a green sorcery. Create a three three green beast creature token for each basic land card type among lands you control. That's that domain effect again. So it's like your domain enabler that also functions as a late game payoff, but it's a little too fair. Yeah, I don't think this is good at all. But versatility is versatility. There's nothing. There's always something to love in these mortal like spells, especially in draft or sealed scenarios. It kind of reminds me of like um, Path of the World Tree, which I expected great things from Path of the World Tree, but it turned out to just be a, a little too fair, right? Two mana, sorcery yeah. speed, get a land, and then... Seven mana, pay five. That one you don't have to choose. You you eventually get something else. You get both in Path of the World Tree, but even that... I love that card. Even that was not good enough. What it was, bear, gain two life, draw a card. Sorry, two, two cards, two life, two damage, opponent loses two... Chuchu Wolf. Oh, when you activate the Path of the World Tree? Yeah, yeah. It was ETV, get a, fa- get a basic to your hand, and, and unactivated it was get a wolf, draw two cards, shock something, open and lose it to life, you gain two life. Yeah. So, like, Doom Foretold. It was Doom Foretold. <laughs> oh, this new card is amazing with Monument of Foketra. The bad Raise the Alarm. The bad Raise the Alarm. Best Raise the Alarm. But uh, yeah, all in all, I'm really excited for these cards. A lot of them seem at least playable. I'm just running over Squee like an idiot. Lilian entering Pioneer is bound to do something. 
And this is just the beginning. It's like fifteen percent of the set. Yeah, for day one previews, I mean, this is this is nuts. So I, I think I know the answer to this already. But if I had to commit to you now today, more for best card that we've seen so far from the set, Squee. Squee. Is it close or is it not close? No, no. I think it's something. I think yeah. The I think Squee is the only card that we'll see play across myriad of formats. Huh. Uh, like Rubble Master has been a magic staple for a while. And I think anyone arguing that this is worse than Ravel Master is at least 35 years old. <laughs> Whoa. And what? thinks and, and think Yorion sucks. Oh my god. This is ageism here. Accurate profiling. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> this is so Yorion sucks. Triumph suck. And Rubble Master is a staple in Mono Red decks. I and the rest of the writing staff at ChannelFireball.com are greatly offended by this, <laughs> this devastating blow from, from a young Zoomer. <laughs> I'm just saying the truth. You cannot say this is worse than Trouble Master. Unless the only one that can convince me of otherwise is you're playing this absolutely always on turn one, and your wing con is your opponent not removing this by turn four or five. Oh, wait. Also, Bad, Bad Race Alarm is amazing with Rafin. Turn two this into turn three Rafin. And you can get back with Attraction Specialist. Okay. Discord is... So if anybody wants any idea why to share our Discord, every single idea I'm pulling out is coming straight from the Discord. Exactly. So we're going to be checking in on all the previews. This is just the first installment. The next installment should come out on Monday. I've heard rumors that our long-lost friend, our long-lost co-host, Zach Manismo-Ryle, his ship might be in port. So he might be recording with us. I'm crossing my fingers for that. Yeah, we miss Zach, and I really want to spew some bad ideas with Zach, so let's go forward for that. All right. Thanks, Emmy. We'll see you next time. Thanks so much, Dan. Hope you have a nice night. Bye! That's a wrap on this edition of the Faithless Brewing Podcast. Tune in on Monday for part two of our complete guide to Dominaria United in Modern and Pioneer. Support for this podcast is provided by brewers like you. Join the Faithless family and help support the show at patreon.com slash faithlessbrewing for Discord access, bonus content, and more. That's all for today. Stay safe and we'll see you next time.